Welcome to WMRK Radio Free Murktown. I'm your host, The Game Master. Our website is explorersunlimited.com where you can subscribe, donate, find other episodes, comment on this podcast, and find links and other information related to this episode. Our email address is radiofreemurktown at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. So tonight we have a uh, maniacal laugh on. Uh, we're going to be going over some basic stuff. I uh, do some uh, follow-up. Uh, uh, we didn't really have a ton of uh, user questions uh, from the last episode, uh, but I believe this one, we this episode, we should get a lot uh, considering it has, for our focus is going to be on uh, the Savage Worlds release. Uh, and of course, we're going to go into uh, maniacal's uh, player spotlight. And, uh, you know, his characters. And uh, basically, it's going to be a discussion about uh, Pinnacle soon-to-be-released Savage Rifts. Uh, so before we get started, uh, what, Maniacal, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us who well, you play and whatnot. Sure. I am now Maniacal F. I'm the GM for a couple different gangs. Uh, the Heroes Unlimited Bravo team and most recently AAPS, uh, AA Professional Services. Um that AAPS is where I used to have my most long-running character. Uh, that was Beanpole. And I sort of ditched him with the hope that I could keep uh, the AAPS gang moving along quickly. Uh, I also have a couple other characters. Um, and I would like to, I think, uh, talk about them a little more in the character spotlight, uh, which I'm totally fine doing right now. Um, sure. But as far as an introduction, uh, my name is Justin. Uh, I live in Seattle. It's nice and rainy here. Um, okay, so the <laughs> the thoughts I had on the character spotlight was I didn't just want to ramble on about how great they were. I wanted to tell you how great they were with a little bit more structure. Um, I have made a role-playing game career out of rolling terrible characters, so I've learned to make the most of, you know, mediocre attributes and do all that sort of thing. Um, and except for the character I play, Jana, who is the little mutant bear, both my other characters, um, Beanpole and Snoopy Toretto, are both pretty vanilla in terms of their attributes. Um, but there were a couple things that Rift does that makes it interesting to play, but one of the most important things is the EU convention of having the insanities. Uh, those have really helped add a dimension to an otherwise sort of mediocre character. Um, I think, you know, the Palladium role-playing system, you know, it's all about random, 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 which drives me batty because I love spending time, you know, crafting the character that I want, uh, but then when you roll up a character and it's nothing like what you had pictured, that's when some of the real good creativity comes in um, and lets me add some of that personality. I had to completely switch around uh, Snoopy's personality based on the dice, which was frustrating, but it was also rewarding, which has proven more so in play. Um, it's odd that the one character that I rolled some really kick-ass attributes for uh, hasn't progressed as a character nearly as fast or as well as the ones where uh, I got sort of the mediocre roles. Um, then you throw in those insanities, um, 
and it really gets some interest from my point of view in Beanpole that was his whole family thing. Like he had a phobia against families. And while there was only one actual game incident where that came into play, it defined his character. Um, and I haven't had that same challenge yet with uh, the Snoopy character, but I do have a really hard time playing him because he's really a pretty sh straight character. Like there's not a lot mentally going on like wrong and so how do you make somebody like that interesting is a real that's a real fun challenge um okay that's all i wanted to know characters so you've you've uh, touched upon a couple of things that i thought were of uh, pretty serious interest there and something that, that are often uh, uh topics of a discourse on you uh one of those being insanities uh another being flat vanilla uh, non-exceptional characters uh, what do you think some are some of the pros and cons of each of those? And uh, also, you touched upon the randomness, and uh, and also, I'd, I'd, okay, I'll, I'll touch upon that uh, after after you cover those previous two things. All right. Um, so I think the insanity is the easiest one for me to uh, address. That helps take every character into that area where you did not expect it to go. And I think that is really important for having a like dynamic group and not necessarily uh, stat wise, but it evens the playing field uh, in that everybody is having to deal with that same issue. Um, and I already forgot point one. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, okay. So the pros and cons there of, uh, of insanity, the uh, second one being the vanilla, the non-exceptional character. Oh, um, I think it's actually really nice to have those like average Joes kind of in a group. Um, it's frustrating as hell to be the average Joe, but they're necessary to help keep like a, a the benchmark of what normal is. Like if everybody is this insane sort of wacko guy from source book number 39 and a half, you know, then <laughs> then there's no like touch point to make like what's, interesting about some of these post-apocalyptic settings is the touch point back to base humanity. Like, what does it mean to be a base human in the Rift's world? What does it mean to be a base human, you know, in any one of the other, you know, like in Heroes Unlimited? What, what makes that, it's that dialogue between the super-powered people and the mundane people that defines uh, where things are at and how the world works. Ah, the exploration of the human condition. <laughs> Very Star Trek. Uh, okay, so, so there's there is a there is a, the a basic overview of uh, your perspective on insanity and uh, like vanilla characters. Um, how do you think uh, like uh, EU has addressed some of these things in in regard to uh, insanity, the the vanilliness of characters? How do you think it expands and or uh, limits some of these things? Um, well, the insanities can end up being pretty harsh, and that can be frustrating. Uh, they can seem limiting at times, which can also be frustrating. Um, I, you know, maybe maybe it's a rosy personality or something, but ultimately I think those challenges are what will help make the character more interesting and more fun to play. And when you, you know, like 
you take your boom gun to your undead brother's head and kill him for the second time. Like that would not have been nearly as epic if he had not had the family insanity, um, which is what Beanpole did to kill his undead brother um, the second time. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was very dramatic. <laughs> it's one of my favorite moments. But that would not have come about and would not have been anywhere near as fun if I hadn't had an insanity that I really didn't want in the first place. Um, so I think they're useful, as frustrating as they are. I think a lot of things in life end up being that way. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and about the uh, flat attribute, the base human, uh, and and how EUs, uh, house rule, well, I, such approach yeah. that. I think the house rule is excellent. It's not giving away the candy shop, but it also helps uh, mediate terrible luck. So you do have the chance to, you know, drop that lowest die, um, and that helps a lot. You know, just you still get you still get a pretty good chance of having non-spectacular, but you have also less of a chance of having absolutely terrible. I think that's what's important. Yeah, I, I, I've I've tended to uh, not hit the bell curve, but rather uh, hit the troughs on those. Like. <laughs> My uh, my only player character having the uh, me the mental endurance uh, or willpower for you D and D players uh, <laughs> of like I think it's like three or six or something it's just ridiculous like <laughs> but yeah. you know you get you really have to approach it differently and uh, yeah it, it challenges your way you play the character how do you think how do you think the EP system has has uh, dealt with either of these things? God, I'm a huge, huge fan. I can't tell you. Um, I mean, it's not something I have. I don't think I've gone out of my way necessarily to rake it in, but as soon as I get it, I spend it. I mean, holy crap, that stuff is so much fun. I think that that satisfies the need to customize your character in ways that Palladium never will be able to do. Um, you can buy skills for a character that are out of the OCC. Like, how awesome is that? You know, you want your, I don't know, Samus pilot to get detect ambush. Seems to make sense, doesn't it? But you can't. But with EP, you can't. Um, and some of the, the, like, meta rewards I think are great. And the, the control over the amount of character accounts is actually pretty key. Um, I know people probably hate me for saying that. But I think that is really a good regulator on um, the number of characters you can have. And the initial goal, if I remember back in the discussion, was that if somebody wanted multiple characters, they had to become a bigger participant and contributor rather than just playing characters. And I think that balance, at least in my case, it seems to have made a difference. Right. Uh, and, and so coming back to that third point that we haven't yet touched upon, and that's the randomness. Of of, play, of the Palladium system, uh, talk to me about how you think that interacts with EU, the play by post format, and mm -hmm. you know the house rules, of course, and how the EP system kind of influences that. Okay, so the randomness, you know, is a fundamental thing of role playing games with dice. I mean, that's why you play one with that feature is so that there's this chance, this excitement of failure, success, and you never know which ones it's going to be. Um, in character creation, I feel like the EP has a lot less impact, um, at least from the way I read it. Uh, but in play, I think 
it has a lot of impact on your character. What uh, their advancement in skills and you know the combat skills and experience uh, experience levels in the skills themselves, that sort of thing. Also with the adding attribute bonuses, uh, you know the additional skill or attribute roles you can get. Um, that's really huge. Like gives you the chance to, oh, gee, let's just customize this guy just a little bit more. You know, I want to just get over that, you know, no bonus uh, threshold. And, you know, I wanna, I'm want to i at 15 now, and I just want to get to 17 or something like that. Uh, and having the low EP bonus to get you there is really great. I mean, that plus it there's randomness in that too, which it's like gambling. Like I'm going to spend my, I can't remember how much EP, but I spend <laughs> it, and then you may, you may get Jack. <laughs> yeah, buddy. You, you go ahead and spend those invaluable uh, EP of yours, and you get to roll a D6 to determine the bonus to your attribute that you get to apply. Guess what? I know you spent months earning that those three EP, and you get a one. Yep. Congratulations. That's... Marginal return and no direct effect on game mechanics. <laughs> yep. Uh, so I think it's, like I said, it's frustrating as hell. But once you can sort of sit back and laugh at it a few hours later, it's it's well worth it. I wonder how many hairs have been pulled out due to that uh, that role for the attribute boosts. <laughs> I bet a lot. Probably just a lot in debating. It's like, put the money down, don't put the money down, put the money down. <laughs> right. Uh, so, uh, and, so, uh, so we've uh, gone a, a little bit about her characters of, uh, what about yourself? A little player spotlight time here. How did you join EU? Uh, what kind of, how did you, uh, how did, nobody comes on just straight as a GM. I mean, that's incredibly rare because there's so much background knowledge that one has to have before we can, t- one can take that on. How did you get to that role? Uh, I, I started um, a long time ago, back in like 2003, uh, running a Mekton game on a Macross site. Um, and really enjoyed the GMing aspect of it. And then, you know, life happens, and that sort of faded away. And part of looking around and finding some list, there was some guy who was running a Yahoo group-based Rifts game, and I was like, oh, that sounds like fun. And it got a little bit uh, along the way, and then it fell apart, and I was like, well, that was fun. Where can I find more? And so simply Googling it, and Explosion Unlimited came right up near the top, and I looked at it, and I was scared. And then I looked at it again and realized, oh, they're just rules like anything else. And got a little less scared. And then started making the character for the first time uh, and figured out it's not really that hard. Um, and got him approved and started playing. And then life happened. <laughs> and I had to put him on hold for a few years. And then came back and was, like, picking up right where I left off. It was great. And then I was playing along, happy as the clan, being a player character, and then I got tapped by um, Black Haunt over in the Explorers Unlimited. He said, hey, we need more characters. Do you want to try a Heroes Unlimited character? I said, sure. And that was fun, so I had two characters. Um, and then not too long after that, uh, I got he tapped me on the shoulder again and said, hey, I'm going on vacation. Do you want to take over? And I said, Sure, why not? So that was how I broke into the GM aspect on EU. And then, you know, I, as 
I like it a lot, and it takes a lot of time, and I realize that my entire role-playing game career, I've always trended towards the GM position rather than a player position. Right. Um, and now I've got an equal number of players <laughs> and, and uh, GM talents <laughs> on a year. So I think I'm going the right way. Yeah, I can I can definitely recognize and uh, echo that sentiment. Uh, you know, I think over the years I've had a whole total of uh, two characters or you know, a couple one-offs that just I couldn't really get into. But, uh, yeah, the jamming, I mean, not only being the side admin, you know, that kind of puts a jam role in your lap regardless of what you want. But uh, just the, the nature of it, you know, it, uh, it's it's interesting to craft that story around all these random elements you, we call players. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. And that's what they, you know, I, I've heard it, like, People say no plan survives contact with the enemy. Is that one? Oh, we yeah. Say, we have no, at work, we say, like, no plan survives contact with the client. And, you know, I think it's no GM plan survives contact with the players. And you got to be able to roll with it. And one of my deep, dark secrets about that, and I'm going to put it out there, and people will realize that they've been feeding themselves trouble, is if a player says something that they're scared of might be happening, <laughs> make it happen. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's like, give the GM ideas. Thank you. Yeah. like I'm not really that creative. Why, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It makes things so much more fun, because then I think that, I don't know if it instinctually the players realize that, oh, this game is totally about me, and I'm really excited, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, I hope that's the case. I hope they're not just cursing me now. Um. <laughs> right. Uh, so uh, you're so you're currently jamming uh, AAPS on uh, on the Rift side and uh, the Bravo group on uh, on the Century Station side. Um, tell us a little bit about your jam experiences with each. Um, so superhero jamming is something I haven't done since I was like twelve. Uh, so it was kind of new to jump back into it, and my superhero experience is basically the Marvel super, uh, cinematic universe that's been coming out. I haven't really read much in years, so it was kind of jumping in blind and just trying to figure out what works. Uh, and it was really great to have some of the other, the, like Blackhaunt there is a super resource for all <laughs> things comic books. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, Alex is a giant comic nerd. Uh, yeah. He's also probably wasn't going on vacation. He's a professional musician. Oh, that's right. Well, he and was going so he goes on tour. <laughs> But yeah, yeah. Um, so that was easy from transition. Like, oh, hey, I need help with you know designing a supervillain, and bam, it was right there. Uh, and then I realized that it's all just still storytelling. Uh, so just you know, read the character backgrounds, figure out some hooks, and lay those out on the table, and see which ones they pick up and which ones they don't. And we had a lot of transition, and I, I've got to throw a major shout out to Brute and Wi-Fi. Because they have been right. with it for the long haul and both been doing an excellent job. I can't take all credit for it because they have been there through the whole thing. Um, and so it's been a lot of fun figuring things out. And I also really love the fact that it is this like near future thing. So a lot of stuff we do today is still really applicable to that world. Um, I can look up a plan for a secret lab on the Internet. Right. And 
it's pretty close to what a secret lab in real or you know not a secret lab a real lab <laughs> would be um and so those resources at hand are really convenient i don't have to go searching through you know source books to find this one thing i can just go oh you know she has a phone phones can do this sort of thing um Right. Uh, did, is it still uh, 2042 in the game, or yeah, is it moved? So. Uh, okay, so the year hasn't moved along yet. I remember when I when I initially created the dimension, I set it in Century Station, and uh, I was like, "What year to go?" And I was just, nah, you know, let's get it in the near future. Nothing super sci-fi. We yeah. don't want to go sci-fi because we've you know we've got a bunch of that. But uh, the near future, so GMs can be creative, you know, <laughs> like hover cycles and and stuff but nothing super crazy you know uh so yeah i'm glad to hear that's still working out fairly well yeah um, maybe that date has changed i just keep copying and pasting my timestamp and yeah <laughs> and and what about uh your gaming experience with uh, aaps well it's it's fun being on the other side of that group um because i experienced all the characters and their interactions as a player, and so I interacted with them all from that angle. So getting into the other side and the other role uh, has been interesting because I am expecting certain reactions that are different than the ones I'm getting. So it's it's causing me to reevaluate my point of view um, in terms of that group. And it's also been a bit of a challenge jumping in to the middle of what was supposed to be a mini adventure and then cranking that up to a full scale adventure. Right. So there are elements of that that were set up that were supposed to be like boom, boom, boom. And then I've drawn them out so that <laughs> we can get, you know, all the new characters involved and you know, everybody kind of cohesive as a group before we go off on some longer non Murktowny adventure. Right. And, and in, in putting together a new cohesive group, do you find uh, how do you, how do you approach that? Do you find uh, like uh, non combat kind of scenes and stuff to be useful? Uh, tell me what you think about that. All that. I am still trying to work that out. Um, right now, I'm trying to. I've tried uh, a couple combat scenes. I've tried a little bit of non combat so far. Uh, I'm also trying to shamelessly bribe people. Um, to get you know longer posts, more frequent posts, somebody to be the uh, first poster, all that sort of stuff. I, I really want between now and the holiday slowdown to try and get a little bit of momentum so we're going into a holiday slowdown strong and that we can then recover from that uh, from a point of strength rather than at the bottom of the barrel. All right. Um, so that's my approach so far. You know, things move so slow in play-by-post time that it's only been like 12 weeks or something. Um, so, you know, that's only 12 posts to really get things going. Uh, one of my sanity rules for myself is I post once a week. Like, that's it. You get once a week. Uh, if something totally crazy happens, then, yeah, maybe I'll do more. But I can't guarantee more. So what I do is I guarantee once a week right. and stick to it. Um and so now that means I'm posting two nights once a week, but that's fine. Uh, they're contained. What that means, however, unfortunately, is that if everybody was, like, super on top of it, there still might be a day of sitting or a day or two of sitting. Now, right. if that's the case, I fully expect the characters to be posting, talking to each other 
during that period of time. Even if it's like even if it's like a combat post. Like if you got your post in, my uh, my AAPS ones are Tuesdays. So if you got your post in on Wednesday, somebody else got theirs in on Thursday. Between Thursday and the following Tuesday, the, those two characters I, should be talking or you know talking to somebody else or having some epiphany based on what the other guy did. You know, it doesn't affect the roles any, but it provides that that increased character depth and what you can see. So there's just because I haven't posted doesn't mean you can't post more than once in a week. Um, right. I'm always trying to encourage that as well. Uh, what about your uh, jam posting in particular? Uh, when it comes to, uh, not like, just to give you a little under, a little something to uh, sound off of, uh, when I post, you know, I it depends on the kind of scene as to how I write it out. Um, like, presently in the Galactic game, I have a huge, like, ridiculous battle that I did not choose. Supposed to go do this. I was trying to convince them, don't go there. That's almost certain death. You know, go tackle CIC where you know cut the head off the snake. Uh, but they chose, hey, let's all go do this. And I'm like, oh my god. So it's a giant battle. So I told them all right ahead, as soon as they got there. I'm like, okay, I'm going putting this in strict narrative format because normally if it's a self-contained kind of combat scene, I'll almost do a blow, a blow by blow how things actually flowed out from the dice rolls and the actions and the initiative and all that. But, you know, with the giant, giant battle, I was like, okay, going into narrative summaries here. Uh, how do you, and I use maps intensively. How, how do you approach your GM posts? I approach them as a narrative that makes a good story. So I want each post to read like an interesting story. Um, in the uh, combat world, what I try and avoid, just because it is less interesting to me, is the, you know, basically where you can see round one did this, round two did that, round three did I try and blend it all into uh, more of like a dynamic narrative. Mm-hmm. So if if something, you know, like I, I, I do play everything out on like a, sheet that keeps track of who did what when and all that sort of stuff and then i look at the results and then i interpret the results based on what the character was trying to do in their narrative uh and what the outcomes were so you know if one character was trying to smash another character over the head but that didn't happen at first but then something else happened and they ended up in the position to smash them over the head at that point then I'll, I'll put that in the narrative. Now, it doesn't, as long as it doesn't affect, like, the game mechanics, um, then I will make things more fun-sounding. And to that effect, I like to try not to do, you know, character one did X, Y, and Z, character two did X, Y, and Z. I try, you know, have the characters' actions intertwining with each other through the narrative. Um, so that, that takes more time to do. So sometimes if there's a lot going on or if it's harder to do that blend, it will be, you know, character A, character B, character C. That's not my ideal condition, though. I try and make it a little bit more entwined. So you I, so you don't necessarily hear the dice rolling in the background. That's right. an expression I heard about, like, some of the D&D books or something like that. And I've always had that idea that I don't want to hear the dice rolling in the background. I want to have a compelling story. And that's where I really put a lot of weight on the longer character um, 
post, you know, whether it's combat or not, still as much detail and all that as you can provide, the better story can be crafted together and the more, you know, entwined the character post and the jam post will be. And that's what I really enjoy is when those things really play off each other as a as a series. Okay. And uh, so let's let's segue from here without any kind of a segue. <laughs> uh, let's let's take a look at at the whole uh, Pinnacles soon to be released Savage Rifts, which, if their PR is correct, should be coming out in time for Christmas. Um, so there's a, uh, a Pinnacle Entertainment Group released a, uh, a notice saying that they'll be coming out with riffs and that Shane, the the lead guy, is uh, kind of uh, developing it to work within uh, the Savage World system. And uh, there have been a number of kind of bad uh, but informative uh, interviews uh, available on uh, YouTube that I've watched. Um, I have very little... Uh, direct experience with Savage Worlds, however. Uh, perhaps you could tell me a little bit about it and how, what you think, uh, how you think that'll kind of interact with uh, with Rifts. Well, the I've never actually played it. I've read the core rule book, and I've seen a couple other <laughs> games where it has the similar progression of, of number of sided dice, uh, depending on your level of skill or your ability level, mm-hmm. which is pretty interesting. I think it's a really neat way of looking at it. Uh, it's also much more of a build-your-character kind of game than it is the as much of a role the character, from what I understand. Right. Um, and so that's one of the most interesting things I'm curious to see about with how they do a conversion. Uh, the other was, I think I've mentioned this before, was how do you take something as like weird and random and like mutant organic as the Palladium rule set and put it into something that is much more tight and cohesive. Like there's so much about what you know what makes the riffs thing fun is that a lot of it doesn't actually make sense. Yeah, right. <laughs> so how do you how do you capture that quality, the fun quality of not making sense, and put it into something that is much more strict? Um, it's a it's a very lightweight rules game, I think. Uh, the Savage Worlds is. Um, so that would be really nice, actually. Uh, I will I had an experience recently where I was trying to teach somebody another game that had what I considered a much more streamlined like mechanic system, and it was hard. And I was like, okay, let's try something else. And I tried the Palladium system, and they were able to get it. And it makes no sense to me. It frustrated the hell out of me because... The one was well-designed and thought out and had nifty graphics, and the other one looks the same as it did 25, 30 years ago. So, yeah, the uh, so yeah, from what I've gathered, uh, Savage Worlds is kind of just like a template uh, rule, uh, like a rules template for how to incorporate a game, and then they kind of like release source supplements, if you will, for like general worlds that you can you can have and like flavors of different types of games, kind of like D20 in that system, in that sense where you have like D20 modern and here's all the stuff for it or, you know, D20 fantasy and uh, like Savage Rift or Savage Worlds has like uh, Deadlands, which is kind of like this weird post 
apocalyptic, I think, steampunky uh, oddity of pretty coolness that I've from what I've seen. And but they're going to be adapting this to riff. So yeah, you have this conflict between this cohesive tight template of a rule set and the organic bizarre amalgamation of rules from palladium that don't always fit together it's like a jigsaw puzzle put together by you know somebody with uh you know no hands and is blind you know <laughs> it towed it together uh so how, how do you think uh, this is gonna how do you think this is gonna work out are they gonna take like the archetypes to prestige classes like uh, in d20 or what do you think I I have no real, I don't understand, I guess, the system well enough to know that you have these kind of characters and you can modify them with these, uh, I'm trying to remember offhand, I should have brought my book, but perks and flaws or that sort of thing. And I will be curious to see if they assign character classes with predefined perks and flaws and skills, which is how some of the sample characters are in the main rule book. Right. Um, so I suspect that you'll get, you know, like your headhunter will be one of those pre-generated characters, um, and you'll get, you know, a certain amount of customization to it. Uh, that would be my guess. Uh, and, the, and what would be really awesome is if then they had to, you know, build your own. So uh, one thing I've seen is, because uh, uh, I've been researching this somewhat uh Somewhat intensively, you know, sporadically, but intensively. Um, they have already made some info about uh, the juicer and how they've approached that. And how they approached the juicer was, um, you know, they gave, they gave them certain uh, uh, flaws and attributes, as it were. But they also gave this, they also created an entire new mechanic for the system, which they're going to implement system-wide now, called Blaze of Glory. And this came about from the juicer. And Blaze of Glory is basically you have these counters. Uh, it's, you know, juicers have a finite lifespan. And you can choose to die in order to achieve epic ends. And, you know, as and, you know, you can keep trying this. And, and like, there's, like, basically a, an increasing chance that you'll actually die. And, you know, when you hit that final spot, when you're down to, like, your last counter or whatever, um, you know you're going to die. And at any point during the game, you uh, you know, you, you take the lethal damage. You can kind of play that last counter and continue going for a certain GM discretion amount of time and expend yourself in a dramatic fashion to achieve some noble end or whatnot. That sounds awesome. Right, and it's super dramatic in in, in, a, in a narrative sense. So I'm curious to see what they really do with the whole thing. And from a self-interested point, I, you know, I also own the SavageRifts.com domain, so I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> That's some thinking ahead. Yeah, as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, buying that domain. Cool. So yeah, um, is there anything else? Uh, you, since we don't really have much follow-up, we didn't get any questions from the last one, uh, is there anything uh, you'd like to ask me or uh, 
any kind of uh, questions you have related to EU, how it's run, rule questions, EP related, technical issues, anything like that, it's a Q&A form. Yeah, no, I'm kind of spent. Kind of spent. Okay. Well, what, well, what we're going to do here is uh, uh, call it at this stage and uh, say have a good night, everybody. And, uh, Maniacal, it's been uh, great to have you on. We should yeah, do this. thank you. I had a lot of fun. All right. Have a good night. Thanks.